Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of 2020. My name is Amato, and with me are... Tori. And Dom, the Palabarbarian. Palabarbarian? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a barbarian full plate that has holes. It, it's an expansion material. I, I'll get you the booklet. <laughs> so then, then you'll have to let me run that character. Well, you're a human. So you have to have done one and then switched over to the other, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> oh, I'm actually a subtype of human from a different expansion book. I'll get you okay. that book also. <laughs> Personally, I'm a dire dog. That is both my race and class. Mm-hmm. And also state of being, just very yeah. dire. <laughs> yeah, dire state of being, very dog. <laughs> uh, what's my class? What class would I be given if I was sucked into a magical world through a, you know, amusement park ride? I remember running one game at one point, which you played an alchemist just for fun. Oh, yeah. Well, that that was that introductory adventure for third edition that I kind of actually liked. Yeah. Like where there were mines and a plague and something. Yeah. And I definitely rolled up a commoner because at first off, it hardly <laughs> matters. Yeah. And the commoner was an alchemist and I threw, um, I threw you know, vials of stuff yeah. that wow. I had stocked. And what That's I remember special. most about that game is in the first encounter where like, you break into a room and there's a bunch of kobolds and they like immediately overturn a table and, you know, like stick the crossbows out and, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, try to barricade a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of our friend's characters, one of our friends had this monk or something jump over their barricade table behind their enemy lines. All the kobolds turned and shot him full of crossbow bolts and he died. And they were surprised. <laughs> <laughs> because that's, they were also used to power gaming <laughs> from the get-go. That's the first level D&D experience, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they seemed surprised and put off, and I was confused. <laughs> I'm not sure how... I mean, I think at that situation, you just kind of, like, threaten slash parlay with the kobolds, right? Well, you don't uh, charge in the middle of them. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on who you are, I suppose. So why are we talking about Dungeons & Android Dragons today, Amato? Well... There's this person. Yes, my favorite RPG, Dungeons or Dragons. <laughs> I personally choose the dungeon. I prefer the dungeon, too. Dragons just aren't that interesting. Like, they're fine. Oh, no, I, I feel the opposite. I feel dragons are infinitely interesting, but infinitely more likely to kill me. Oh, so. I but suppose that's Also, fair. you could, in theory, negotiate with the dragon, not with the dungeon. Mm. That's sometimes Eva. true. If it's a cool enough dungeon, then it's probably sentient. <laughs> You've both given me a lot to think about this <laughs> The point is, I was thinking about Astolat, like you do. If that's how you say their name, I actually have no idea. Um, that is an alias of a big-name fan in, you know, fan fiction community. Mm-hmm. Have you heard that term, big-name fan? No. Okay, well, now you have. A-, a fan with a big name? Yeah, well, Astolat's not that big a name. It's kind of a small name. Anyway, this is one of those people who is very active in fandom and has been since apparently 1994 through various fandoms. And they're also one of the, or if not the main person behind the creation of Archive of Our Own and the Organization for Transformative Works, Association for Transformative Works, what's it called? You know, the organization behind Archive of Our Own and some other stuff. Mm -hmm. Organization for Transformative Works. And so, like, they're internet post in response to fanfiction.net deciding to like arbitrarily purge some content you know was titled we need an archive of our own oh and like they were very much behind that whole effort and i was like oh let's read something by astolat but um you know they've gone through various fandoms and so looking at their fanfiction page they still host everything you know 
on them. Things before 2005, which is my, more or less my arbitrary cutoff date, is a bunch of stuff that I just don't really know anything about. So Tombstone, like, what's Tombstone? Who knows? Who, who knows it all? <laughs> There's a Jeeves and Wooster fanfic, but it's very short. And, you know, Jeeves is awesome. But a bunch of other things. Stargate SG-1, I just don't know it. LA Confidential, I don't know. Gladiator. Justice League, but that one's super, super short. So something that's a decent length, what I ended up hitting on was the one based on the Dungeons & Dragons cartoon. Hmm. Well, two. There's one other one. Are you familiar with the Dungeons & Dragons cartoon? I'm familiar with it because back in college, they came out with the really cool DVD box set of it. You know, the one that came with the little booklet that looked like a third edition book with stats for all the characters and items in <laughs> wow. you know, third edition D20 rules. Was that that one that had the radio play of the unwritten last episode? That might have been the one. I think they've had a future DVD release since then that also had it or something. Hmm. But anyway, that means that uh, uh, someone who I was house sharing with, you know, like one of the people in my extremely geeky house, senior year of college, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. got that as like a birthday present and, you know, put on some episodes over the course of however long. And so I saw some episodes, enough to familiarize myself more or less yeah. with the cartoon. Um, and also the stats and Uni the Unicorn is CR2, so, you know, can throw them at your party and they can take out Uni without too much trouble. Right. Right. CR2, that's nothing. I don't remember if they statted out Tiamat or, just, or if they were just, like, refer to the yeah. uh, Monster Manual, which would have been hilarious because the mo- third edition Tiamat has, like, spell-like powers all over the place. And right. D&D cartoon Tiamat just kind of runs around being a big, like, roary thing. <laughs> Not like a super intelligent, like, high-level mage you know god thing right right yeah in the in the cartoon in in this fan fiction there's a little bit of difference there well no actually it's about the same not nearly enough tiamat content in this fanfic for my liking it's just at the end uh but anyway yeah when i saw that i was like yes i do want to read a fanfic based on the dungeons and dragons cartoon (laughs) oh i've also read one of the choose your own adventure books Mm -hmm. based on the dungeons and dragons cartoon and that would be not fan fiction. No, because it was licensed. It was licensed. But it was but. apparently the first, as far as anyone can tell, English language choose your own adventure book featuring a woman of color as the main protagonist. Because oh. I read the Diana one. Mm. Oh. It was not well. good. It was kind of crappy. <laughs> yeah, I was I'm sure say, they all were. I don't recall much of the characters from this cartoon because I've only seen a few episodes very long ago. But from this fan fiction, we don't get that much from Diana. No, like, you never got much from Diana. Yeah, that's kind of what my impression is. Uh, what was the original um, the release date for the cartoon it's, itself? That's a good question. It was 80s. I looked it up. Is it 80s, 80s cartoon? Yeah. yeah. I, I looked it up on Wikipedia at one point. It was like 83, 85. Mm. I mean, I think the backstory is that Gary Gygax kind of left being super active at TSR as much and went yeah. to Hollywood trying to like leverage D into a multimedia empire sure 83 to 85 apparently mm. and all that came of it was this selling the rights to a D movie which would eventually resurface and you yeah. know as oh, the dungeons and dragons the movie the dragons movie yeah i the, forgot about that the rights passed around for like a 15 I years or something in the theater and i loved it <laughs> no oh no it's so no, bad <laughs> i know i loved it don't even get me started um, I haven't seen it since it came out when I was like thirteen or fourteen. That, that helps. That probably helps your experience. It. I'm like every life is no, a, is a journey, mean, and like you're different people, different points in your life. You can't really fault somebody for thinking something that they did. No, it like, was Tori. No, it no. was terrible. 
and I loved it. Okay, that's like, fair. Did you know it was terrible at the time? Totally. Okay, that's, okay, that's I'm fair. okay with that, yeah. yeah. I mean, well, in that case, I can just, get behind just totally loving those blue lips on Dalimar or whatever his oh, name Damodar. is. Damodar. Yeah. Damodar. So silly. <laughs> like, there was something about it, like, I, I will say it's not completely an, like, an ironic hipster love or something. It was... It was partially that, like, this is so silly, you have to be amused. But it was also, like, it scratched an itch somewhere through my, like, I don't know. I don't remember when that came out. It must have been, like, between, like, 11 and 14. Was your itch for Star Wars but fantasy? Yeah. Because that's... Exactly that. That is such a good way to put it. Yeah. Was your itch medium-sized dwarves? I mean, but to be fair, like, Star Wars, you know, when you think about, like, the original Star Wars movies, like, those were so affecting to us but that like so much of the dialogue is so ridiculous it's better than the dialogue in the dungeons and dragons of course it is i mean you know what i mean though i know what you mean it's yeah it was still it was fun i think i had galen call me domadar for a while oh yeah that sounds like something that happened (laughs) yeah it sounds like something that happened recently so the cartoon is 83 to 85 so before i was born before any of us were born and this fan fiction Mm -hmm. Was out 98? 99. It's 98 on the archive of our own copy and 99 on the author's personal website. So something like that. Okay. Um, So this is well after the cartoon was over. Yes. Oh, well, well after. And I I have no idea what the background is with the author's, you know, experience with the cartoon. Hmm. But I guess none of us actually have an emotional attachment to the cartoon, huh? I hardly remember it. They tried to replay it at some point when I was um, growing up. Like, they had a Fox Box thing or something where they tried to play it again and they showed, like, the first episode and I watched it and I was bored. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, some of the episodes are, like, good for 80s cartoons. It's yeah. just I don't watch 80s cartoons for fun. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, 80s cartoons, I like. I like. There's a couple I like, like. Early, like, the early Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and, like, She-Ra were, like, actually, like, pretty enjoyable to watch. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles wasn't an 80s cartoon in the same way that, like, Transformers and He-Man and this were 80s cartoons. Yeah. I mean, I guess it was in that it was tied into a toy line and selling the toy line. Wait, wasn't TMNT 90s, not 80s? TNMT, uh, was the it? first cartoon it was late have, 80s. or the first cartoon is what I'm talking. I'm just yeah. sure. the first cartoon yeah. may have been early 90s. I think you might be right, Dom. But yeah, like uh, Shira, you know, like there's a lot of things that came out where it was like when you watch them again, you recognize how corny they are, and the animation can be really stilted. But you see the seeds of like really promising ideas and plots, and that kind of I know elevates your opinion of it. You just like see like. Well, that was actually really clever and kind of unexpected for something that came out in this time. Um, As far as the D&D cartoon is concerned, I don't remember it well enough, but I don't think it had a lot of that. I I expect the author must have experienced some of that. Hmm. I mean, to want to write about it. Hmm. And I think maybe elicit one or two fanfics during the Yuletide event from other people Mm -hmm. (laughs) for the Dungeons & Dragons cartoon. Anyway... Uh, Dungeons & Dragons cartoon, for those of you who are not familiar with it, there's six teenagers with no attitude. Well, one, <laughs> one, no, actually, more attitude. Because Eric has attitude. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's way more attitude on average than your Power Rangers. That's what I picked up from the fanfic was Eric was the one with attitude. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, he might be cool and rude. Could be. Yeah. <laughs> he seemed to be the one the author focused on the most. The, the point is, they go on an amusement park ride called Dungeons & Dragons, get sucked into another world, 
And there's a little, and they get given magic weapons and the names of a class. It's like, Bobby, you're a barbarian. But all that means is you have this club that produces earthquakes. <laughs> it's not like you're going to gain class levels or anything. Mm-hmm. And there's this all-powerful gnome thing called Dungeon Master that usually tells them what they need to be doing, which is usually like they have a lead for a way home. And for some reason or another, it doesn't work out. I do appreciate the cartoon. It wasn't always like, oh, the portal was destroyed. Sometimes it was like it doesn't work out for some other reason. Sure. Um, but it never works out. And then there's also this evil wizard named Venger. Wizard. I guess, yeah, he's a wizard. He's a wizard with like a horn named Venger who's after their magic weapons because apparently they're yeah. super, super good magic items. Some of them are, I guess. But like, I don't know. They seem to be more important than they seem to be just by, from what they can do based on their own. They do something with Tiamat or stop and T- them from Tiamat Tiamat-ing shows something. up occasionally and hates Venger, but also maybe everybody else. <laughs> right. Mm. So, and Tiamat doesn't talk, which is a lost, missed opportunity. Cause like, wait, yeah. wait, stop a second. Yeah. Is it Venger? Venger. I was saying Venger in my head. Same. I was just about to it's say It's got to be like Vengeance, right? It's Venger. <sighs> Not I, like vengeance. No, I don't know. I mean, we're gonna have to go back and watch the cartoon and see what they say. I I'm a little disappointed Venger, that none of us did. <laughs> I almost did. Well, we'll never know, enough. and no one else knows. <laughs> it's unknowable. <laughs> anyway, that's the premise, um, and it was kind of a. I don't think it was a big success at what they wanted to be because it didn't have an associated toy line that was any good, and mm-hmm. they didn't really like tie it into people drawing people into playing Dungeons and Dragons. Like, they didn't release any, like, modules that tied in or, like, any kind of, um, you know, gateways into actually being a D&D player. Well, like, if you wanted to play the Acrobat, what, what would you do? You would pick up your player's handbook, first edition, AD&D, and be a Thief Acrobat, which was a class in the player's handbook. Besides Thief? Yep. Thief and Thief Acrobat. Not just Acrobat. Thief Acrobat. <laughs> Acrobatic Thief. Acrobatic Thief. Mm-hmm. To yep. put it more precisely. Yeah, no, this sounds like the Thacko generation, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it was yeah. Gary Gygax's, you know, pure hand at the wheel, which is why you have, you know, 50 pole arms and all that kind of thing. <laughs> right? Yeah, that... I'm glad you pointed that out because that's always distressed me. You it's played like, why? <laughs> we why? played second edition where there was no more Thief Acrobat or Cavalier yeah. mm-hmm. or Barbarian. I, I appreciate second edition. I feel like there's a lot you can get out of second edition and you don't necessarily get in later editions, mm. to be honest. I mean, but first edition I... is frustrating as heck to oh, me. We, we do have experience with Dungeons and Dragons. Oh yeah, right. Not so much the cartoon, but I, we played a lot of D&D between all of us. I'm not sure that counts in this discussion. <laughs> it yeah, doesn't maybe, because the cartoon has nothing to do with Dungeons and Dragons. That's actually a really yeah. good point. We probably shouldn't focus too heavily on actual D&D if we want to really dive into this fan fiction of this cartoon that I don't really remember. Do you remember this cartoon, Amato? I Yes, I said. I watched it in college. <laughs> not know. all of it, but some well, of it. I watched a lot of things in college I don't remember. <laughs> this, this fanfic. It's called Trial by Existence. It's divided into multiple parts. Also a book one and a book two, which I didn't really notice because I was reading the archive of our own copy, even though I pointed to the copy on the author's website, which divides it into two books. Is the book two finished? Because it looked like it yes. has three chapters. It has three chapters, but that's oh, all of it. But it's oh. definitely finished it's super because finished. of the way it ends. Oh. Now... There's a content warning that I didn't do enough research to warn you about beforehand. There's rated R and PG-13 versions of a couple chapters. And Tori, you read the PG-13 versions. I did. Dom and I read the rated R versions, which if we'd have the choice, we probably would have read the PG-13 versions. Mm -hmm. The way it's 
yeah, it's it's a warning, and then the way it's listed is there's the chapter with nothing after it, and then after that, there's the same chapter title, but in red letters rated R. Mm-hmm. So, like, I actually was confused by it because I didn't read the note very closely. I read the chapter, and then... I started to read the next chapter thinking it was maybe an addition and then went like, oh, this is the same. So upon realizing that, I was like, based on the content of that first chapter, I was like, I don't think I need to see any more. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I get the idea. You know, we'll get into, you know, that stuff later. I just like to throw out, as usual, the author, Astolat, wrote this, I think, wrote this, you know, twen- more than 20 years ago. And mm-hmm. as usual, I'm sure they would write it differently if they were writing it in the cold, harsh light of 2020. Yeah. But in any case, I'd I'd like to jump in to the first couple stories, which kind of start one of the two main plot threads in this. Those first two stories are called um, The Road Less Traveled and Miles to Go. Mm -hmm. And I I really appreciated where this starts from, where it's someone writing fan fiction about a kid's cartoon, right? Yeah. And they really keep a lot of the flavor of the kid's cartoon while also pushing it into more, more mature content. Like, so this is about, you know, they're, they're going to like a shrine, like some temple that's supposed to have the power to send them home. And you right. know, there's a fight and, and the details are not super important. The important part is it's, it is Eric character development. Mm-hmm. And Eric was the one in the show who was most likely to be unhappy with the way things were going. It's like, I haven't seen the show, but I know the character type perfectly. Right. He's yeah. the one who would mm-hmm. complain. Just says something snarky. And then exactly. Well, something else. And he also doubled in the show as being the one who is likely to not go with the decision of the group. Mm-hmm. And people always complain about how he's always, always wrong. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the message of the cartoon is, like, you should bow to the group think. <laughs> um, Fuck but, you, Eric. And he's also supposed to be, like, cowardly, even though, you know, yeah. push comes to shove. That was kind of the weird part about this is, like, his whole cowardly attitude. But, well, yeah, that's, that's not weird. Like, this. it's trying to work with that. Because yeah. what happens is in a fight, like... Bobby's out exposed in, like, an attack by Venture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everyone's like, someone needs to go out and save him. And, you know, Eric's like, no, that's dumb because Bobby ran out to save Uni, right, the mm-hmm. unicorn. And it's like, no, that's a bad idea because there's literally, literally a wizard, like, flying up there shooting lightning bolts. And so Eric's gut instinct is like, no, that was his dumb idea and I'm not also running out into the lightning bolts. Yeah. Yeah, which basically results in Bobby's, the it, kid, it, it getting hurt. It results in Hank getting hurt. Or Hank. Because Hank... Hank okay. Hank the ranger, the leader, right, yeah. right. runs out and, you know, shields Bobby, even though he's not the one with the magic impenetrable shield. Th- that's the that's blonde, Eric. That's the blonde-haired kid, right? Yeah, the blonde-haired kid. He's the blonde, like, blonde stand-up, blue-eyed. boring yeah. guy. Blue-eyed, virtuous. Yeah. No, <laughs> you know all the characters, even if you haven't seen the cartoon. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I just keep getting their names mixed up, to be honest. Bobby, Hank, and Eric are, just a like, bunch of white they're really boy confusing names, in my brain. Yeah. Well, it's the, the ranger, the cavalier, and the, the barbarian. barbarian. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I still... Just, which one's the little kid? The barbarian. barbarian. Bobby. That's what I thought. Okay, Bobby is the kid and the barbarian. Yes. Got it. He is both a kid and a barbarian. That's... Well, I remembered him being a Dual kid classic. and a barbarian, which there is kind of crazy, but I just... I had to make sure the name was correct. He doesn't get his kid powers back, though, until he reaches a certain level of barbarian. But it has to pass the kid level. That's yeah. right. <laughs> uh, what was I saying? Anyway, it starts off... Hank gets hurt. Yeah, Hank gets hurt. And this provides an impetus for Eric to do a lot of soul searching because he's like, even though that was even more dangerous for Eric than it would have been for me, 
sorry, even though it was, I, now I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. Even though that was more dangerous for Hank than it would have been even for me, he didn't hesitate. He did that as the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, also he's like, oh, and that also means that Hank was hurt and like on the verge of death because of me. Yeah, mm-hmm. so they have this nice moment where they have, take Hank to a no- local... Um, well, it's the temple that they were going to use to get back home. Yeah, a, a temple to the High Lord, which is the vague deity. The High the, Lord is like, yeah, who the clerics pray to right. or whatever. Yeah. So while Hank's recovering and being healed... Uh, Eric does a lot of soul searching and well not really soul searching like self hating really right, right, yeah. and working it out and trying to figure out do I really want to be this negative person mm-hmm. uh, do I want to help my friends or watch my friends die <laughs> yeah and I like he turns a corner there and I like that they kind of keep the pragmatic aspect of his character a lot because it's a being a like society puts a lot of naysaying on like being pessimistic like mm-hmm. bringing it up negative things that could happen but that is a practical problem solving way of looking at things in order to you know not die a lot of the times mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and there's two other things i really like about this plot like in this first chapter especially just which is that like i said the bridging the cartoon source material to the like more mature i want to actually tell a story with these characters thing yeah hank is hurt by like a magic firebolt. And he's just like vaguely very, very hurt. And I was like, yes, that's exactly how it would be. It's not like, oh, you know, the flesh of his skull was seared off or mm. like, you know, it's just like, no, he's near death because he's very hurt. His hit points are low. Yeah. <laughs> and the other thing is they have to use the stored power from the temple to heal him so they can't go back home. And I was just like, yes, that's exactly how it goes. I was okay with that. That, that is yeah. exactly yeah. how it goes in this universe, you know? Yeah. Uh, and no, it's a good reason. It hangs together. It's just like, oh, and by the way, that portal that did exist and could have taken you back home can't for reasons. For good reasons. For good yeah. reasons. Yeah. 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 Arbitrary, reasons. but good reasons. Right. But yeah, these first, like, I don't remember if this is in the first or it's second chapter. It's the first two chapters. chapters is like yeah, this kind of... Eric's soul searching yeah. and yeah, like all that. It's kind of funny because, like, you have this thing with... Eric, where he's like, I'm such a coward, and he goes and he talks to a priest about that, and the priest is like, yep, you are. It's like, I'm not going to condone, you know, the bad <laughs> exactly, behavior. It's yeah. like, if you were looking for me to say, like, no, you're fine. It's like, no, that's shitty of you. Yeah. But. Yeah. It was but, but the priest of... is also, like, inspiring and, you know, gives yeah. some good advice. But well, I... I mean, the good advice is basically saying, like, you acknowledge the way in which you fucked up, you can do better next time. Yeah. So I think you kind of instantly get this, like, adult perspective on the medium because, like, I haven't seen this show in a long time, as I mentioned. But, like, I would imagine that Eric in the source is maybe just, like, comically cowardly. Yes. like and comically an yeah, asshole. <laughs> right. And that's, like, that's a, supposed to be a source of humor. Yeah. But if you took this from a realistic lens, you'd be like, no, like, this person needs to change or their life is going to go down a really shitty path. And that's what the intervention of the priest does. And I actually feel kind of satisfied from that. Like, seeing this character have the opportunity to change is, I guess, just... Because having a character being comically shitty is actually, like, just terrible to me. It's like, it's not funny. Yeah. Like, people should be able to grow and change and become better. It's not funny for them to just be assholes. Yeah. Eric reflected on how it was bad for themselves to keep doing this, how mm-hmm. every time it wore them down. And yeah. And, and since, yeah. since it was a habit, it would come out involuntarily, and that would make things worse over time. Yeah. It's like the author really thought about, like, this character is a real person. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I enjoyed these first two parts. The melancholy tone was really... 
I don't want to say fun, but it was fun for me. I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it was satisfying. Satisfying. Yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah. The second chapter is basically like after um, Hank has recovered, it's a chance for like Eric and Hank to kind of talk this stuff over. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, other stuff happens as well. Um, you know, they, they like they save save a baron from orcs, and you know, as usual. Um, no, well, there's this whole plot in this village where like this baron has been betrayed, and like you know, stuff stuff is going on. It's very D and D side quest. It's very D and D. Right, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, it's like oh, you're passing through this town where all these different things just happen to be set up that could use the intervention of, like, a group of heavily armed, you know, wanderers who have nothing better to do. And this character with this ability wanders by and notices something wrong and then... <laughs> yeah, and is that just foreshadowing the ability that, like... I think it, that was. They yeah. didn't really explicitly say it later, but uh, Eric was able to sniff out something evil. Some, like, dark magic that was placed there, like, yeah. Like, physically made him ill <laughs> yeah. to be around. And nobody else noticed. Well, I mean, there's... There's the distinct lack of a cleric in this group's party, so, you know. Definitely. You need a healer. <laughs> right. <laughs> a druid, at least. Maybe. I, I mean, doubling up on the thieves was not the wisest <laughs> option. Although it does sound like a realistic party. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be a thief. I want to be a thief acrobat. <laughs> Are you sure you want to be a healer or a cleric? No, no two thieves? Cleric okay. of the god of thieves? Can we, <laughs> can we sell you on that? Acro- Wait, cleric of the god of acrobatic thieves? <laughs> By the way, the magic items, there's, like, the bow that shoots, you know, energy arrows. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. There's the shield that produces force fields mm-hmm. and is, like, impenetrable. That's also pretty cool. Yeah. I feel like it, the cloak of invisibility sounds really plain, but in D&D, invisibility and will items are just, like, the biggest headache for a DM. <laughs> Second only to, like, fly at will That's items. actually a really good point. Yeah. Um, the, the club makes earthquakes. The hat is a deus ex machina thing. Like, he can pull stuff out of the hat sometimes, Presto. He's not great. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I feel like... Is his name really Presto? Yeah. It was Preston, I think. Oh. <laughs> just His parents named him Presto. I mean, I just feel like he's... <laughs> he must be really into being... Is he a mage? Yeah, he's supposed yeah. to be. He must but be really into being a mage, because he's he just like, actually... I'm Presto. I'm such a mage right now. Look at me. I'm maging. But by maging all spells, the He mage. just has the item, but that's all of them. By right? maging, all the magic, he's just taking off the their hat and pulling magic. stuff out. <laughs> yeah, well, that... Then he's he's just a magician. <laughs> Usually they just rely on their items, right? Except, I mean, you know, like, Diana's athletic, oh, and she uses her, like, pole. She's got See. a Monkey King's pole, which, like, I want to say is not that cool, but, like... The Monkey King cool. is cool, and therefore her pole is cool. Absolutely yeah. sounds And she's cool. cool. And you just yeah. write that item is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And so wait, so they don't actually, like, in their class distinction, do they have any powers or just Presto items? cannot cast spells. What? Nope. He just has the hat. That's... Sheila is not particularly, like, lockpicking or anything. She just what? has the cloak. Bobby does not go into a berserker raid. I don't know what <laughs> barbarians even did. Well, yeah. I mean, second, yeah. in first edition. They were basically like they got bonuses to strength yeah, and they had some like, you know, cultural got the club. Yeah, I don't think there was any berserking in like first edition, but which nonetheless, is why like I, I like the nod. There's like a nod in this fanfic that like they or a couple nods that like they might actually be developing these skills in the background. Well, like, uh, the ranger tracks. Yeah, at one force. point the ranger's like, oh yeah, something about the, the tracks. It's like, oh, yeah. you know, no one yeah. went this way. And Eric's like, how do you know? He always gets but it's but like Hank just ignores like, him and it's like I guess he gained a class level or whatever. And also, Sheila, using the cloak, can actually sneak around. Right. Like, anybody will tell you, if you're being invisible, that doesn't mean you're silent. That's true. You yeah. have to move silently. Truth, yeah. 
to stump all her points and move silently. <laughs> but it's weird to me they didn't make anything like more explicit than that. Like just well, speaking of explicit, mm, yeah, the story takes a on. sharp, weird turn in the third part because those first two chapters, it's been really the Eric show. Yeah, yeah. And now we switch over to Sheila, and it's some rough By stuff. By the way, yeah. Sheila is thirteen. Sheila's thirteen. I looked it up. Yeah. Yep. Um, actually, <laughs> maybe fourteen because we can give her fourteen. La- it does not matter. Towards later, they say they've been there a year. So, yeah. but at the start, she's thirteen. And I don't think that makes a big difference in the content here. No. And just before we get, get into this, sometimes there's a bit rough between chapter tra- transitions mm-hmm. where they just jump into mm-hmm. the action from something not related at the end of the other chapter, which I found a little jarring. Yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely went from the Eric show to the Sheila show. Right. And. Unfortunately, I mean, I read the the non R rated version of this chapter. I <sighs> I pale to think what the R rated version would have been like. Well, it's but just with honestly, a explicit sex scene. That's it, right? Yeah, that's like, the R rating. They don't really leave anything out of this. Yeah, it's well. Let's talk about the plot around yeah. what we're yeah. dancing around here okay. first, which is that basically they've gone to a city and they're like it's under siege by Venture's army. Venture has an army now. I don't remember him having an army in the show. Maybe he did once or twice. He doesn't not have an army. He has whatever he needs (laughs) in like a given episode. But whatever. He's got an army of orcs. They're besieging the city and like the kids have been helping out the the adventuring party, the highly competent adventuring party who are definitely not just a bunch of kids with random magic items um, have been helping out in the defense and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, Sheila has like snuck into the camp or, you know, to spy and gotten captured by well, Venture. Went, went out scouting. And got went out scouting. And all the other scouts got captured, too. Okay. Yeah. And the main plot is basically, like, Venture keeps her under lock and key. Um, eventually, like, she, she has an escape attempt that doesn't work. He uses her to, like, as blackmail to, to, like, not to prevent the other kids from defending actively the city. It's like, oh, if you raise hands against my army again, I'll kill her. And then eventually he lets her go with bad information that will encourage the surrender of the city so that he can, like, conquer it more quickly. Those are the broad strokes. Of, that's the, that's the, like, yeah. the main plot of the chapter. But in the middle of that, you've got what I was definitely not expecting going into this, which is Venger, Sheila, romance. Maybe. I, I know you're going to, I know you're going to say that. The author describes it in terms of a bodice ripper romance novel in yes. their introduction on their own website here. And it's it's got the DNA of that, you know, through it the whole way. Mm-hmm. Because there's this whole thing where, you know, they have, like, you know, banter and, like, talking back and forth. But then eventually Venture rapes her. Mm-hmm. And, like, we're just going to say that straight out. I, I feel like this is super weird. It is. Because, I mean, though, in the sense that I'm not sure, like... And maybe there's something I missed. Like, I read this absolutely a sexual assault mm-hmm. the first time because he's using some sort of magic to persuade her is what it seems like. I, no. didn't, I didn't get that. No. 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 Like, he touches her and she feels some sort of energy. I think that's just the the bodice ripper, like... Well, but no, it happens twice and she specifically talks about it as a magical sensation. I think sensation. that was just, just like a physical sensation, not a... Yeah, that's not how magic. I read it. Anyway, I if that's fine, and and all I'm saying is it was really confusing to read mm. because it was confusing as to whether she was consenting, and the first time I thought about it, I was like, either he's using magic to manipulate her, she's not consenting, 
or she is consenting of her own free will. And then I was like, oh, wait, she's 13. No. Never mind. No, and, and There's and no element of consent here and, at all. Yeah. Right. And also, um, I don't know that... And it's just so weird. It's I, like, what are you trying to do here? Yeah, I, I don't know if it's a difference between the PG-13 and the R-rated version, but there there is no consent. Well, oh. it, it's like... It's, maybe, but yeah, maybe there, there is. But it's weird because there's like this romance logic where it's like, there is no consent, but... We're not supposed to dwell on that because she's into it. And, like, and you know, think about it afterwards. I, I know that's weird to say. It's just, like, kind of a romance novel kind of logic mm. where, like, that's supposed to be a valid basis for some kind of continuing relationship between them mm-hmm. because she was into it. And we're not going to dwell too much on the well, 13-year-old non-consensual sex scene here, but, like, I, I think... I definitely don't... I'm sorry, go on. I, I, I just mean, like you're definitely supposed to read it from that romance novel bodice ripper perspective rather than from any other perspective, I think. Which is, isn't a good perspective. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm not saying it's a good perspective. Yeah, but yeah, that is where you're supposed to... Yeah. I just mean that's the logic by which this fanfic is operating in this relationship. Yeah. Quote logic, unquote. Right. Yeah, now that I'm, um, I'm readdressing it, it's... Um, even in the PG-13... Wait, maybe I accidentally clicked on the R-rated version. <laughs> uh, even in the PG-13 version, there is definitely an element of her, like, fighting it every step of the way. Yeah, it says And no. then giving in. Mm-hmm. And that is the weirdest part, is it seems like... Like she gives in for some reason, but it's not clear why. I mean, and, you know, it doesn't really matter. The point being is that yeah. this is non-consensual... That's what it is. it consistently is. But then we've just got to roll with it for the rest of the fanfic. Because the next chapter is basically just a a little vignette, and it's another sex scene, if you read the R version, of, like, Sheila sneaking in to steal something useful from Venger. Because, you know, it's it's the cartoon type thing where they keep running into, like... it's like there's only six characters in the world and Venture, right? So like you keep... Well, it's also the chapter thing where the other chapter ended and it started in Meteor Res. Right. We don't know why. But some time has this. passed. We, well, I guess. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> anyway, but it's like there to establish that like she kind of goes back to him and like they kind of have feelings for each other. And like yeah. that's what we're supposed to be going through. And once again, the author would write this differently 20 years later. No, they probably sure. would. I just, I want to just... 21. I mean, maybe if I can just like jump ahead a little bit sure to not get too bogged down in this element of the plot Mm -hmm. it's very frustrating and confusing because it's clear that she does not consent early on Mm -hmm. but something persuades her in a way and it could easily be like any external pressure the way what she does end up confessing to later on is that everyone's like why did you have sex with him and she's like oh because i'm in love with him and it's like first of all she's a child i don't think she says it quite that way she does she absolutely says that later on she says like Um, maybe I, I feel like I I think it, I remember that scene being her being like it, it's she, she's not explicit later yeah unable to or unable to no, articulate her like, reasons even yeah. it might even be in the next book but she says something about I think it's in the next book after no, a lot of other stuff no, happens. nothing in book one but mm. like oh yeah okay maybe maybe that's too far ahead then I guess my only point is that I remember it specifically because it was very frustrating she said that 
she was in love with him, and that's... I think it is in the second book, so uh, maybe I shouldn't is. speak to it. Well, anyway. no, you, you can in this context. In that's the fine. second book, she explains what happened as I was in love with him, and that was the explanation. And it's especially frustrating because it's like, first of all, you don't really have a relationship, and second of all, it's like loving someone doesn't... You know, it doesn't mean you should just put up with whatever they do. And again, yeah, the author probably write this very differently, but it was a very frustrating idea that because she had some sort of abstract feeling of love for him, which first of all wouldn't make sense because he's their enemy. <laughs> she he's did this pretty thoroughly an evil yeah. conquering mage right. person. Yes, he's like murder, pretty terrible person. So, but it almost felt like retconning it into a consensual relationship, even though like this sexual scene was clearly non-consensual I think in every iteration oh so it was difficult if we're transitioning out of that though I forgot something from the previous chapter that I liked again <laughs> in this like kind of okay, sorry that, that, totally leaving that behind for something completely, completely different just like I really like the edging out of the cartoon like keeping the cartoon everything but also making it more serious it's like in the cartoon they never kill a thing right right and usually ever. they're focused ever. Usually they're wow. focused on escaping things or whatever. That's a cart- Saturday morning cartoon. But yeah. but like but like it's fair. Like they're kids. It's you know they're trying to escape. Mm-hmm. Like they, they, they don't like have any appetite for murder. But like they're also not Batman. It's not like they sat down yeah. and said like I will never take a life. <laughs> and right. so there's a scene that's very real in Design of Darkness, the third chapter where they're defending that city, mm-hmm. where Eric's out on the walls and like he's mostly protecting the like other soldiers with his magic shield, like you would, because you're the guy with the magic shield. Mm-hmm. But someone also forces a sword into his hand and it's just like, uh, look, like stab the orc cell yeah, while you're doing yeah, that. Commander was saying, stab, don't just stand there, stab. <laughs> and he's like, I guess I can do that. And he starts stabbing some orcs. He doesn't have a, and you know, because he's in a tough, stressful war situation. He's, he, it's not that he has a philosophical objection mm-hmm. against stabbing an orc. It's just that like... Also doesn't have any experience with it. He also right? doesn't have any experience mm-hmm. with it. Yeah. Like, you know. Anyway, it's just like yeah. a really good... I don't yeah. know. I, I just like kind of the clear. the smoothness of a lot of those kind of like cartoon to non-cartoon things. Yeah, fan fiction is interesting because a lot, it seems like a majority of the time, but not, if not all the time, the fan fiction itself is a completely different tone than the source material. I think it's very common. Very common. Yeah. And like they have, there can be some rough parts transitioning from one to the other. We've talked about some other um, fan fictions where they struggle with changing the genres, but mm-hmm. I think with this one, it didn't feel too out of place or weird to change from the Saturday morning genre to a, um, a fantasy genre. Melodrama? <laughs> fantasy. Well, Melodrama's not the right word. Well, fantasy like a fantasy drama. book. Yeah. Like actual knights yeah. and sor- sword and sorcery yeah. and killing people book. Kind of, yeah. yeah, with those like soap opery overtones yeah. that are common to a lot of fantasy, like as we see in the Song of Ice and Fire TV adaptation and stuff. Mm-hmm. It makes me muse on the common phrase for fan works as transformative works, like the organization <laughs> for transformative works. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, you're usually taking something and making it something different. And I feel like, you know, a couple of times when we've read something that's just so in the original genre, we're like, huh, that just felt like another episode of The X-Files. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we're not sure how to feel about it. It's like... <laughs> It's like it's hard to do that tone, but they did it well. But yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I I, I do yeah. appreciate pastiche. Whenever I read a fanfic, I'm like, yeah, that's that's perfect. Like I appreciate it, but it's not the fanfics I remember or love. You know, the ones or enjoy that much. It's like the things that are sure. taking it somewhere different in one way or another. Yeah, transformative. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I mean, I think that's accurate. 
well, then we'll be renaming the podcast Retro Transformative Fiction Retrospective Mm -hmm. um, as of the next episode. Now, after those two Sheila Avenger chapters, which I wasn't expecting to say when I signed this fan fiction, uh, we're kind of back to the main Eric plot. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are kind of the two plot lines, right? It's the Sheila Avenger thing and it's the Eric thing. Mm -hmm. And so, oh, and there's other Eric stuff we didn't mention, like someone gave him an amulet that was supposed to be able to take him back home and he declined it. In order to like stay with the group, he yeah. didn't want to leave him behind. There's or, character yeah, growth. Character growth. Yeah. And the character growth ends in a pretty satisfying place in this chapter. Bereft. I was. I kind of liked it. Mm-hmm. Where like they they're at this other like super important temple of the High Lord because temples, I guess, are useful things, mm-hmm. and they're there to get a prophecy from an oracle who's there. And you know the other the other kids go you know are eventually escorted into the presence of the oracle. Eric kind of wanders off and is distracted because there's like these old training grounds underneath the temple for an order of paladins that is no longer in existence. Yeah, they mentioned that's where the paladins would get uh, christened and nobody knows how that ceremony worked. Or and how. therefore there's no more paladins around because yeah. like they haven't been able, there's been no new ones for a long, long time. Yeah. And even hearing that, I did not immediately jump to the the ending of this fanfic, even though I should have. I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I kind of got there when uh, Eric started having doubts at a temple. Oh, yeah, yeah. See, you were more on top of it than me. I was surprised by the ending. (laughs) And I was like, afterwards, I was like, I should not have been surprised by the ending. Also, I'm not really coming from a place of a fan of the cartoon. I'm coming Mm -hmm. from someone who knows Dungeons and Dragons. Sure. Being like, a person with a shield at a temple sounds like a paladin to me. Yeah, for (laughs) sure. And and it is. He ends up, like, pursuing this little kid down into this, like, you know, paladin testing grounds underneath well into this mm-hmm. haunted crypt yeah which yeah. turns out it's infested by skeletons like it is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it has to fight some skeletons including actually hitting them with a weapon and stuff <laughs> maybe that maybe they shatter skeletons in the cartoon i don't quite remember it doesn't yeah. really count as killing a thing i have to say i think the tone of this fanfic must be vastly different from my cartoon because everything just feels so much more serious and dramatic oh, it is you know i mean um, the cartoon tries to be dramatic it's just that it's, it's dramatic, children's 80s cartoon. Saturday morning cartoon. Yeah, which means exactly. prob- probably no or low blood or something. Uh, no blood, definitely. Right. And, like, they got away, they pushed the envelope for 1983 to 1985 a couple sure. of times. Like, there's one episode where they seriously debate killing Venger and do not. But, mm. like, that's not a wow. debate, that's not okay. a debate that He-Man was having, right? Yeah, right. It's like, yeah. let's just kill Skeletor once and for all, no. They had well, to fight to put that episode on, I think. Yeah, that's yeah. what the that's internet tells me. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, the tone of the fanfic is a lot more like Eric dealing with his role as a coward and then, yeah, dealing with this becoming a paladin kind of, or a real paladin kind of yeah. thing, I suppose. It's a really, it's a really natural transition in some ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because, like, giving him the shield as the coward makes mm-hmm. total sense. It's like, it's the one that protects you. But giving him the shield, he's, he's turning that shield into, like, oh, I'm actively going to use this shield to protect other people. Yeah. And that also makes total sense for a magical shield like that. Mm-hmm. Right? And so, yeah, right. he, he saves this little girl down the crypt, like, finds an exit that only she can fit through. And then he's like, well, yeah, I... Well, before they find an exit that um, the girl couldn't get up, but he could. Oh, yeah, that's right. He turns that one down. He's like, got to find another way up. I, I got to find a way that, that the kid can get out. Because I'm not leaving her down here even for a moment with skeletons popping up at any with time. roaming murderous skeletons. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty dramatic. Like, if I can read a little part of it, it's like they're running from the skeletons, and it's like he didn't stop to see how many more of them would appear, but hitched the little girl closer to his chest and ran like hell. Shit, 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 he chanted silently. <laughs> they still keep the Eric flavor, I feel right? like. Yeah. But it's also like 
Yeah, he wouldn't say shit in the cartoon no, either. No, he would but not. But saving but his breath ha- But he would be running. thinking it. Yeah. yeah. The girl's weight dragged him, and he could feel a stitch starting on his side, but the clicking of the skeletal footsteps kept following, coming faster now as if the skeletons were running as well, coming louder as if they were gaining on him, and he blindly swerved to the left again as they came to another fork, ran around the next corner, and nearly crashed into the wall of the ended, that ended the passageway. And it just, like, it keeps kind of going on in that dramatic fashion, but... Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, he starts picking up cuts from the skeletons. Once he gets the girl out, he, like, he can't get out of that well, area. he finds a place, a small opening mm-hmm. that a child could get out, and that's through a room filled with an unspecified amount of skeletons. Oh, yeah, yep. that's right. <laughs> yeah. And she so, finally let him squeeze her into the crack, which was just barely large enough to hold her, and then he turned and set his back to the wall through. as the first of the skeletons rounded the corner. I should say he does not run her through break. the sword. He runs her through the room and then, <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, shoves her through there and leaves us in a room full of skeletons. And yeah. then you get a scene where he's fighting for his life against an um, unkillable amount of skeletons. Right. Yeah. But, but he also decides, well, I'm not going down without a fight, so he just keeps fighting until eventually... He gets, like, stabbed in the, skele- in the stomach by, yeah. like, a rusty like, skeleton blade. There's lots of uh, introspection where it's, like, where, where a voice, possibly his, possibly something else's, keeps on asking him, like, Would you, is it, what, was it worth it? Would you do this again? And the answer was, yes, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here's mm-hmm. that scene. Um, like, I'm, um, she made it out because of me. Otherwise, she'd have died alone down here. Like you're going to, the voice pointed out. I'm not going down without a fight, and I'm not going down for nothing. That meant something to him now, he realized. Yeah, right, dying to save somebody else's kid who was stupid enough to come running down here after a ball, and just when you were all about to get home, too. That seems pretty pointless. No, Eric told himself, knocking away an outthrust blade with his own sword before taking off the attacking skeleton's head. I didn't come down here to save a kid, even though that would be worth it, too. I came down here because I stopped being a jerk, and I'm not going to regret that, no matter what happens. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say... That's a good example of his character change. It's not a good example of the writing in this because no. actually the writing in this can be quite good at times. Oh yeah, the well, writing was amazing. The, the writing yeah. is very good. Well, that's also Eric's inner voice. I feel like Which is, yeah, a Eric's silly inner voice sometimes. is a lot yeah. more kind of um, low language. What's the word? Just like unadorned language. Low register. Low register. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. Um, yeah, yeah. That's not what the writing is normally like. And then he gets stabbed by a skeleton and, and dies. Dies. Yeah. But, you know, then he wakes up and he's like, I thought I was dead. And there's a voice calling him, you know, towards a light. Basically, he wakes up outside of the locked door that he was supposed to have gone in before, Mm -hmm. untouched. So I think this whole thing was a vision or a quest or something. Yeah. I read it as him being healing magic because whatever force is about to make him a paladin is like a healing magic. But also his stuff was fine, too. Oh, yeah. no, so you're right. Your, your was, read makes more no, sense. No, it was yeah. definitely a vision. Um, there's, towards the end of it, it's like, because um, I guess he has a rich dad, too. Yeah, back home. Yeah, back home. And he's had an opportunity to go home and stuff. So that's why he's the coward. He's kind of like a rich kid. But, like, yeah, he paused at the gate, his hands flat on the wood. He knew he could just walk back to the well, lift the cover, and jump. In a moment, he'd be home with his friends, his family. He could even try to fulfill his vows there. Well, that's his much... His paladin vows. His pal- yeah. Right? That's much later, right? Uh, is that much later? It's the same idea, though, so... But it's the same yeah. idea, yes. Yeah. Well, anyway. Yeah, with his father's millions, there's no telling how much good he could do. He closed his eyes, struggling with temptation. Help me, he thought desperately. Help me to know what's right. 
and then there's like a, a scene where he kind of changes his mind. But yeah, well, you're right. Well, that's that, a little bit later. Yeah. Well, right. You're jumping ahead to they actually find you know way back home the oracle kind of tells them like yeah there's this well of worlds over there that you can go through and they're like oh great yeah. okay uh, the bit of information we kind of skipped over in the last chapter was not venger 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 i think uh, shared okay. the information that this temple was outside of both venger's and the dungeon master's hands because the dungeon yeah, master was a bad dungeon person master of like of just stringing them along so they could do random quests for him and never intending to let them get home. Right. And so they see the, see the Oracle and the Oracle's like, oh yeah, you can get home, just go there. And they're like, okay. <laughs> but yeah, so that's the scene you were just reading, Tori, is when mm-hmm. everybody else is going home and Eric has decided to stay because he just took Paladin vows to, vows right, to help right. be a Paladin. And yeah, so everybody else gets home. Uh, he doesn't. And when they emerge back in the real world, the ride collapses and like there's, you know, paramedics and all this kind of stuff. And so the place like burns down or something. Yeah, the place burns down. So there's no way back. And also in the most melodramatic plot twist at the end of book one, <sighs> Sheila is pregnant. That's, I, I'm tired of people using that as a plot thing. I'm yeah, pregnant. Well. Stinger credits. What, whatever, man. Yeah, it's literally <laughs> I'm pregnant. End of book one of the trial by existence. Yep. Like it's. And it's, uh, I mean, this is what I was going to, I mean, I don't want to linger too much on this, but it's like we talked about how there was sexual assault and there's this weird thing in book two where it's described as like her loving Venger. I keep wanting to say Venger. <laughs> but they, the, the author also trying to make him into kind of a good guy so that it's not as bad. But it's like, no, it's still bad because she's like, 12 or 13 well, or 14. Also, he's but still terrible. He's yeah. still a terrible he's person, too. They don't, they don't do really much to change bad. that. And I do think that, yeah, like, using pregnancy as a plot device like this, um, I'm going to assume this author is probably not a woman. I'm not oh, sure, Oh, I think though. the author is, but I think the author think was author a 21-year okay. younger woman at the time that they wrote this. I mean, I, I, mean, I don't know much about them, but, maybe like, not. that's yeah. my I understanding. Mean, maybe, uh, oh, yeah. Well, because, oh, actually, the author's name is Lady something, isn't it? I think so. Okay. Uh, I kind of came to the same idea as you. <laughs> uh, I just, yeah, I, I was confused by it because of the way both sexual assault and pregnancy are used as plot devices. And I think anyone who has personal experience with either of those things probably wouldn't use them as plot devices, in my oh, opinion. yeah, she, her, uh, author identifies okay. as a woman. Cool. I'm guessing... Well, I mean, it's good to know. And I, again, this is a long time ago the author wrote this. I'm not trying to come down too hard. I yeah. just feel like it. it is rough to see those as, as devices rather than, you know... Real well, so hard experience. If we're back to that relationship, what doesn't help is that neither Sheila nor Venger really have a whole lot of personality anyway. I mean, Venger does more because he's the evil villain, but like it feels like Sheila's kind of a blank slate to begin with. So it's hard even to take this as like, oh, with this personal, with this character personally, it makes it like follows largely from the character because like she didn't have much I, of a character. And like every other terrible thing aside, they had no relationship. There was right. no reason right. for this to happen. Right. And they didn't develop one afterwards. They were just all of a sudden in lust, love, whatever. Mm-hmm. And for, that, for no reason. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say is I don't necessarily think that she, like I agree with you, Dom, I don't, and I disagree with you, Amato. I don't necessarily <laughs> think that she's a blank slate, that she doesn't have a personality. I well, just I'm think thinking more that, from the perspective of the cartoon. Mm, oh, like, okay. I mean, she has a role in the, in, the, in the story. In the story. In the story. Yeah. I just think, yeah, what... 
you know, most of her concern, especially going to the second book when she is pregnant, is all about her relationship and her child rather than her having an identity of her own. I feel like her identity might have been strong when she first shows up in this story, but as soon as stuff happens to her and her body and sex and sexuality and pregnancy happens to her, it's she's kind more of, of a... She becomes device, different. Yeah. She becomes more of a vehicle than a, than a human. Yeah, I think that's a fair description. Uh, but moving onward, that's into book one. Book three is o- not book three. Book two is only three chapters, mm-hmm. and the first one stands alone. And I mean, it's 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 pretty cool. It it's just kind of a chapter of Eric being a paladin. And, was that book two? Yeah, I, that was, I, I didn't realize that's that was where the, the first one was. in book two. Yeah, the mm-hmm. the cutoff was the time skip. Okay, so I read them all then. Yeah, you read it all, and so um, yeah, there's a chapter of him being a paladin. And he like relieves a besieged like other city because Venger's army is like moving across the continent. I, I love that story. That was a great kind of story. It was really good. Yeah, and, like part of the fun of it is the like kind of Star Wars thing where it's like there were no more Jedi. And, like, now there's a Jedi. It's like, there wasn't a paladin, and now there's a paladin. But everyone knows what a paladin is. Yeah. Like, and that's the cool part, right? Oh, you're right, yeah. It's well, like... It's kind of Jedi, isn't it? It's kind of Star Wars. And so, like, <laughs> the idea that a paladin shows up is in itself really, really hopeful. Uh, this warrior showing up is like, I'm a paladin. Like, no, you're not. It's, like, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's a cool story. I feel like, I don't know what to talk about it specifically, but, like, also, you know, Venger comes in, he's like... I thought I, I felt the weapons of power I felt the weapons of power leave the realm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh whatever, it's just that kid with the shield. But then also he's like the kid with the shield who's a paladin. Right. And like he manages to like, you know, beat Avenger through like this unexpected power. And I've gotta say also, we're not on Dungeons and Dragons the game logic. Mm-hmm. He's not a first level paladin who can like cure two hit points of damage. Uh, he, he's like, he got a set of cool powers. Well, I think yeah. he is the paladin. Right. That's yeah. his title now. He it's got his, an important title. Yeah. Uh, what I mean is just like being a paladin comes with a bunch of cool stuff. Yeah. It's yeah. not like he's a crappy paladin. He's not a game paladin. He's a literary paladin who's physical embodiment of their god on, on the planet. Though the chapter mm. does end with him getting a paladin horse that just like shows up. Yeah. Like paladin horses do. Well, it's cool because like it sets this whole uh, wandering warrior story, up, which I, I'm a sucker for. I, I love Yojimbo and Sanjiro. Yeah, for sure. Sure, Yojimbo. yeah. And this is, and this makes sense for a wandering warrior because, like, this chapter and the chapters before, uh, Eric makes decisions entirely by feeling, which is the, um, I, I guess, commu- communing with their god or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So th- th- they just like say, okay, it's time to go, and they move on to do something else now, and like they arrive someplace, and oh, I'm supposed to help here, and like, it makes sense to move from place to place and mm-hmm. help people along the way. And I also like that, despite being full of faith, being like a, a warrior of hope, trying to save people, mm-hmm. he still pretty much talks the same way. Yeah, and so, like, I know, it, it, It's really too. nice. There's, yeah. this, there's a scene where like this acquaintance of theirs who was in one episode and maybe had an action figure, uh, <laughs> Strongheart, like he's under a fear mm-hmm. spell that obviously uh, Eric's immune to because he's a paladin. Right. And, you know, drawing a shuddering breath, the knight seemed to look at him again. You do not feel it? The fear? And, you know, he's a fantasy knight. Eric shook his head, but he understood now. Crap. Look, it's Venger's magic, he said urgently. It's not real. He's <laughs> like, yeah, he's a paladin, but he doesn't talk all high and mighty all mm-hmm. of a sudden for no reason. No, he, he rarely yeah. does. It's really, it's really charming. I, yeah. like, I like this paladin guy. Yeah, he's gone through all the character change because you really don't like him early on because he's, you know, the, the rich kid coward. Mm-hmm. But, like, I love that the connection is that his, his dialect is still the same. His way of speaking is still the same. 
because you see that it's still the same person. And right. also, it's not like he's not pessimistic by attitude. He yeah. just he knows how to deal with it now. Yeah. And sometimes like, he gets these nudges, like you would, of like, look, we really need to go defend that hill, or like. Yeah. The best idea here is definitely to charge out of the gates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that kind of thing. <laughs> and no. like waste no time trying to explain it either. Right. And I, I just, yeah, I fully appreciate that you can still see him as the same the same kid, but just doing better now and filling a different role. Because like in D&D literature, like clerics and paladins and stuff have been really boring. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people try to play paladins and it's they don't characterize it. Well, at all. It's boring. It's just like, oh, my God, holy blah, blah, blah. But this is like a transformation. This is a born-again paladin. Mm-hmm. And, and you're really with them from the beginning to the end all the well, way through it. Yeah, you see like a real backstory for this character as opposed to like if you created a and d paladin and mm-hmm. you were a really boring person with a really boring <laughs> character design, you'd be like, ah, oh, yes, my character has always uh, been holy. They had a difficult childhood, but they chose the path of the righteous, and therefore they are now righteous and speak like this. <laughs> and, yeah, Eric's not like that, and that's kind of chill. It's like, oh, yeah, Paladins is real people, too. So I, I like the convert Paladin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. Um, and then that's then there's just kind of one more kind of mini story arc for the last two chapters. Mm-hmm. And it starts mm. off back in the real world. Mini or... Um, it, it's not... It's short, but it's... Well, there's a lot of stuff going on, but we're not going yeah. to get into it too granularly. Mm-hmm. Back in the real world, Sheila's had her child, who is a magic child, super baby. And his name is Keith. Keith. Keith the baby. Keith the baby. <laughs> Keith the fireball juggling baby. Mm-hmm. And he was born in the 80s. Keith is... Maybe an okay name for a child born in the 80s. Should be Kyle, I think, maybe. Honestly, yeah, but whatever. And we don't see a whole lot of their life back there, which is fine, because, like, they don't have enough... You would have to really flesh them out to make it super interesting. Especially since they're contrasting this with Paladin Yojimbo. (laughs) Right, exactly. And so uh, there's a few nice touches, like the fact that Bobby, who was youngest for the whole experience, seems to have adjusted best coming back. Mm Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, and in fact, in a moment, like they decide, Sheila decides, like, look, I need to get this baby back to a world where he's not going to be like dissected because he's magical or whatever. Gotta go back, Marty. Gotta go back. (laughs) Something's gotta be done about my kid. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it started with her being really scared because she was still pregnant. Oh yeah, about what about the baby's what gonna the be baby's or gonna look, look like. Because like. Avengers, are like and then weirdo he was yeah, looking. he's super <laughs> weird looking. Even <laughs> though he's got a horn, one, does, just one horn, not just two. one horn, one side of his horn that she I makes a good that. argument that his sister looks more human, more, looks totally like pretty much human. Does she also have a so horn? You, yeah, I don't mm, think so. No, I, I think she not. pretty much yeah. looks human. She's a one-shot character, anyway. though it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, um, but anyway. I looked her up just to know who they were talking about. But uh, yeah, Keith ends up looking fine. He's just uh, magical. On his dad's side. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think. The avenue they decide to do, they do a little bit of Call of Cthulhu, uh, breaking out from D&D and following up on some leads, mm-hmm. which is um, they decide to find the person who designed the ride. And I was like, yeah. why do you think the ride itself was important? But I'd forgotten that on the inside of the ride, there's pictures of like fancy world, and they didn't. Yeah. They did not forget that. They, they were mentioned like, that. They were like, yeah, that, that that was the reason. They were like, look, someone painted paintings of the realm, which is this fancy world. You're right. That's completely called Cthulhu, isn't it? Like I uh-huh. saw these visions. Uh huh. And, and it's and it's multiple steps too. <laughs> well, they to follow go up and they on it. Track him down. Well, well, Eric. And to get that, Eric ends up going to not Hank. Eric, Hank. Hank. 
Hank goes to Eric's dad, who's rich. Who's sued and, the like, shit out of everybody. Who is suing, yeah. right, who has been suing the creators of it. Eric is dead. It's right. also like, there's also like a brief moment where they're like, we're sorry that Eric's like presumably dead or whatever. And he's just like, I don't care as long as I get my money. And you're well, like, oh, well, that. He's just supposed to be a yeah. asshole and expressive like rich dad. I'm sure totally. there's some feelings happening. F- focusing but more on financially they, punishing the other yeah. people right. than... Yeah, but they did a good job kind of like doing a little backstory on Eric and yeah. why he's got his And, and it's thing. a totally reasonable connection for them to be able to track down the name of this person because he's like, you know, in, you know, they have like this dossier. He gives him, he gives Hank a like whole folder of copies of like all the information related to this lawsuit and it's buried mm-hmm. in there. Yeah. Like, because it's all about like the faulty construction of the ride, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, and so they track down this person who it turns out is like originally from the realm and was trying to kind of set up a magical situation to get back. They had yeah. a bum deal with a summoned demon, so they wanted to go someplace that had less magic, mm-hmm. and they went there and realized that this place had no magic and they were stuck. Got a whole little backstory. Yeah. So they were setting up this this thing to try to kind of do magic, but couldn't actually do the magic. And it's an interesting way to justify it. They were like, no, someone definitely pulled you through from the other side because, like, you can't do magic from here. Right. But it makes sense that you would have been pulled through there because it should be, it would have been easier there because of the way I set up all the, the totems. Because that was that person's last ditch attempt to get back to the realm. Right. And so it was filled with every possible painting and totem and spell they could do there, <laughs> but it just couldn't activate mm. it. You're right. And so that's the justification. Amusingly enough, he's, he's also like, I mean, I had this thing that would take me back, but it doesn't work because no magic. Because there's no magic. And they just hand it to the baby and like it turns on and it's uh, like, yeah, oh. Yeah. They also said that, that it was the dungeon master that pulled them in. Right. Well, which makes sense. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess. Dungeon master. I mean, do they seem to be, right. able, be able to do anything? That, well, also, there's like no one else in the world like who is important. Or who cared about them. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could have said, yeah, the high lord or whatever, but... It's not clear why, according to this story, Dungeon Master actually does care about them. Oh, well, because in the first story, there's an implication that Dungeon Master only pulled them into the world to defeat Venger. Well, they kind of blotted blot away as, like, yeah. the, the Dungeon Master is going to use them to do stuff that the D- Dungeon Master couldn't get their hands on directly. Hmm. Yeah, so that's when we first start to suspect that he's not just, like, and also a nice dude. And also use the weapons of light to, like, deter Venger from something right. else. But we get this implication that he's, like, yeah, manipulated this ki- these kids into doing and his, did his it with good work. kids his work. because they, the weapons worked better depending on how innocent the people using them were. Yeah. You know what just occurred to me? Hmm. It was necessary for Eric to go through the portal last, so he'd be like, I'm not going. Bye, Hank. Like, you know, close the portal behind them. Yeah. But it's a shame that they didn't, you know, talk about it beforehand, because he could have been an invisible pole vaulting paladin with a bow that fires, you know, (laughs) uh, lightning arrows and a, like, earthquake club and See, we're talking uh, about a cartoon, not not actual D&D hero model. That's what the actual D&D group would have done. (laughs) Dump all their items in one person. That's a good point. That's a really excellent point. He would have a dumb magic hat on his head, but it wouldn't matter because you couldn't see him. I mean, that's like, <laughs> you're like, why not? Like, it's not like they, man, really missed opportunity. Well, well, no, it makes sense in the context. Because he wasn't telling them that he was planning on staying behind. And also, like, they'd probably say they're, yeah, but the items were soul-bound or something. Yeah, something like that. It's like, well, are you a... But where did the items actually go? They took them with them. That's But they like, don't work in yeah, the human I know. world. Oh, I mean, I guess some of the but human But they still world, took them the with Earth them. Like, Venger senses them disappear. And yeah. in the moment, like, they go through this portal back to the realm. And, you know, to summarize, they show up in the middle of a battle between, you know, Eric and his yeah, allies and Venger pers- and his army. And it's, like, all intense. Mm-hmm. And, like, in the middle of this, this war that's not going too well, 
Eric gets one of those god hunches and it's like, let's go defend that hill right over there. Yeah. And, you know, the other, the, like, war chief he's fighting alongside is like, yeah, okay, you're the, you're the paladin. And they do. I mean, that's a terrible position to be at, and we'll yeah. take some losses, but I guess we'll go. <laughs> yeah, and they go, and six older teenagers, five older, four older teenagers bust <laughs> out of the portal to save the day. Yeah, they, they yeah. leave Bobby behind. Yeah, they leave Bobby, Bobby doesn't come. That's fine. Yeah. They should have taken his club, though, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, I feel like this is a good point to mention that every single chapter has been preceded by a Robert Frost poem. Oh, yeah. Well, they're all named which, after Robert Frost poems. And they, yes, then they have the title of the poem. I ignored this. Which, when I, you know, like maybe like, you know, seven or eight years ago in my life, I would have been super critical of. Mm-hmm. I definitely went through a Robert Frost hate phase. But the last chapter I don't think is, I got those in my version. Oh, really? It's the Fire and Ice poem. It's mm-hmm. Some say the world will end in fire, some say in ice. From what I've tasted of desire, I hold those who favor fire. But if I had to perish twice, I think I know enough of hate to say for destruction, ice is also great and would suffice. So that is the one Robert Frost poem where I'm like, that one's all right, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I don't like the part where it's like it's also great. I think, like, they could have another line for and it would suffice. But that's absolutely the perfect poem to do the ending with, you know? In my head... I, I really liked it that they used that one. In my head, that second the last line was, ice is also nice and would suffice. <laughs> would you prefer that, Tori? No, because that doesn't fit the rhyme scheme. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, whatever. Um, Anyways, they do a whole labored plot thing. Yeah, there's a lot of info dumping about the plot. And what's relevant? What's relevant is... There's this demon that Venger, well, okay, yeah. Venger's inheriting the Dungeon Master power. It's like he's the son of Dungeon Master, which is kind of like. So, so yeah, they kind of dumped this whole Dungeon yeah. Master Venger plot that they kind of talked about once or twice, and then they just ran through it quickly here. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a, a lot of stuff going there's on. There's a lot of stuff going on. But Dungeon Master pulled a Last Jedi Luke Skywalker. I was just thinking that, yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But many, many years earlier. Mm -hmm. And kind Mm -hmm. of caused a bunch of shit to go down. um, And Venger to swear vengeance and swear his soul to a demon. And the demon wants to kill the newly arrived baby so that Venger will be next in line to inherit the Dungeon Master power. Because the demon wants Venger to, like, be in his pocket and also have the Dungeon Master power. Wants Venger to have the power. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's why they kill the baby. Yes. Yeah. Because Venger is Dungeon Master's son. Yes. Mm-hmm. How this interacts with Venger's yeah. sister, we don't know. I don't, don't know. We don't yeah. care. Whatever. And also, their mom was a dragon. Their mom Tiamat. was a dra- no. She's no, that's the that's yes. the aunt. It's yeah. only implied that their mom was a dragon. <laughs> Never yeah. mind. Apparently, and a yeah. sibling of Tiamat. But they so. say Tiamat was their aunt. But I thought I thought that might be uh, like you know, like, loose for, loosely an aunt, you know, like, like a friend of the family type of aunt. I wasn't sure if there was actually Doesn't a dragon Doesn't turn into a platinum dragon? He does. So, so I mean, his other parent so, is Bahamut. Right, it yeah. has to have been Bahamut. Oh, right, the platinum one? Right, yeah, right. the platinum okay. one, opposite Tiamat. Right. Right? Good point, good point. I mean, I don't accept anything else because it, like... My my nerd mind but, wants to fit everything but, in those slots. But, but they they mentioned multiple times like how his sister I forget her name, like didn't look different than a human. Like, yeah. did they have different parents? They have different. I think they express their dragonness Ven- in different. Venger uh, looks different from a human. Venger was also had their powers sealed by Dungeon Master, right. so who knows how that fucked yeah. with that? Confusing. Whatever. So basically, uh, they give Venger the option either renounced evil 
and your powers or let the baby die. Mm-hmm. And so Venger yeah. renounces the powers, but the column's still coming yeah, out. Yeah, because apparently he loves Sheila and the baby what the for And then um, <laughs> yeah. they say, like, Venger's not strong enough without the powers. And, and like they say, Dungeon Master, it would be if you unsealed him. It's like, no, I, I sealed him because he's evil. It's like, but no, he's evil because you sealed him. They're yes. like, oh, I'm a dumbass. Yeah. So yeah. then I they mean, decide everything's okay. and the, So they unseal... Venger, he turns into a platinum dragon. I feel like it's not a bad setup that we're mm-hmm. like glancing over of the plot. It's just that it's all info dumped, like yeah, at the same yeah. time. It's all like this last, last chapter is one. like yeah. it's everything in the last chapter. And I it's mean, like, some what? of the things were hinted at before, but like not yeah, most but... of it. Like the fact that Venger specifically has a grudge against Dungeon Master and all he's doing is like to try to get a Dungeon Master. Like that's been established. Like, but they could yeah. have dropped stuff like this before where Venger talked about relation with uh, Dungeon right. Master and when they're at the Oracle, they could have talked about other Oracle mm. uh, prophecies that happened before and the results right. of that. And No, it's not well-done plot stuff. I, also I just mean, like, the, the the ideas are fine. It's just kind of not delivered in right. a very good way. Well, and I also feel like there's a lot of effort here to make Venger a sympathetic character, but it's not but, followed through on at all. Like, they like it's just, up. like, Venger, like, has, like, does certain things that are okay but it doesn't make him what I think the author wants to make him to be. Well, it's like they have parts where they try to make Venger, um, try to redeem Venger, but they scatter it throughout mm-hmm. the stories. And also scattered throughout the stories, Venger killing mass groups of people indiscriminately. Right, yeah. yeah. Like it doesn't work out. Like I do feel like the author wants us to think that he has a redemption arc, but I just, I don't see the redemption arc. But like even there. if you are redeemed, you are still a war criminal. Right. Right? <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing is that like, I feel like the author wants us to, like... Because Sheila loves him and believes in him. I feel like the author wants us to, like... I don't think the author is trying to say that we shouldn't trust Sheila's perspective. The author really is don't. not trying to say that. Uh, we don't trust it. Yeah. But that's right. not the author's trying to say. But that's my point, is it's, like... <laughs> she seems to love him. And, and as the reader, it's, like... I get the impression we're supposed to believe in her love for him. But there's nothing that shows us that he's good in any way. At all. Other than in regards to her personally, maybe. Other than unwilling. Yeah, and he cares about her and his own child. Yeah. That's not. Not not willing to kill your own child. It's like, that's. That's not. That's a low bar. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And he already hurt her in multiple ways. He sexually assaulted her. So, like, there was nothing. Anyway, moving on. So they do that and they win the day. Yeah, they drive away the demon, even without the power of earthquakes. (laughs) <laughs> and Tiamat shows up to be the cavalry. And like I said, that's the only appearance of Tiamat. I want more Tiamat. Tiamat is like I a know. cool design. Tiamat didn't do like, I mean, Tiamat did a great deal of things, but didn't like have much of a presence. So. Tiamat did one thing, which was attack the demon at the last moment right, as the cavalry. Exactly. But then like dipped. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I think the other thing Tiamat would, did was be mentioned some point in the, before that. No, probably. <laughs> that was it. Maybe. <laughs> and then in the epilogue, like, Sheila and Venger go off on, like, some sort of uh, yeah. nuptial road trip or something. Right. That was the other part where I was like, we're supposed to believe they like each other? Okay. They, they've never had a relationship. They, they've no, gone twice. They've had a look, terrible... Like, look, we're old and bitter. We're all, like, 30 years old. You know, we don't believe in love. <laughs> Can you find it in your heart just for a moment to believe in love? N- not this, no. This is not love. <laughs> not here. I think you're not believing yes. hard enough, Tori. We draw the line so here. Like, no how old is he? Uh, you know, 15. <laughs> okay. Oh, shit. Half your age plus seven. Oh, God. <laughs> no, actually, she would be older than him at this point then. Um, 
Anyway, and then in, a, in an odd rowling postscript move, everybody else <laughs> sticks around in the realm and hooks up with their vague romantic interests from one-shot episodes. I was thinking it was oh, like an yeah. end of a college movie or something where they show freeze frames and they have a the little paragraph of what they did afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yes, that, well, it, it is like oh, that. And, yeah, but I just uh, mean the fact that like everybody was hooked up with whoever was even vaguely plausible as the romantic interest from the show. Yeah, it was a, it was a lazier fan fiction to finish everything, everything <laughs> off. Right, just wrap a neat bow on it. Yeah. Sheila O'Brien did indeed marry Lord Venger. Mm-hmm. By his power, her parents and brother were brought to the realm for a short time that they might attend her wedding. It is said that for love of her that for love of her, he turned wholly from darkness and served the realm faithfully as dungeon master, freeing all those whom he had enslaved and returning the lands he had conquered to the do- to the dominion of their own lords. Blah, 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 blah. Point being, no evidence that he would ever, like, change this way. You mean until that postscript? Well, that, yeah, there's not, no evidence. Like, right, they right, say right. it, but yeah. there's no evidence. Not really. Like, it doesn't make sense. It's like, whatever their relationship was, there was no change in Vinger's behavior... Vendor's behavior to the populace or the world or how to govern or manage anything. Mm -hmm. Apropos of nothing, I can't hear the word holy anymore without, like, my mind kind of skipping a beat. Mm -hmm. Because when Serena and I were reading through, like, the works of Lovecraft, Mm -hmm. like, that was kind of our drinking game word. (laughs) Like, every time time he says holy. I love that. That's beautiful. (laughs) So we're about ready to close this out. But before that, we say what we did not like or what we liked most about the fanfic in that order. So we can end on a positive note. For what we don't like, I think I can Can we talk about the chorus here? (laughs) Well, I feel like we're all going to complain about the whole Sheila Venger entire plot line, right? Yes. I think I am less dismayed by the, like, you know, quote, problematic content, unquote, than you two are. And what bothers me more is that, like, I'm willing to accept the, like, you know, bodice ripper romance novelness of the whole setup. The problem is it's just not well written. It's not convincing. It feels forced and empty. Yeah, I, I think as a synergy between the two thoughts, like, it's terrible and all, and also it wasn't done well. Yeah, well, it's yeah. both. Yeah. It's true. It's just kind of a matter of, like, what dismays you more. <laughs> right. Well, it is pretty difficult for multiple reasons. Like, as I think I mentioned before, it's like, I thought about this in a context of like, oh, at first she was reluctant because this was an enemy and later like realized that she actually was attracted and did consent. Then I went back through and I was like, no, I actually don't think that's how it plays out. There's too much pressure from her circumstance. However, like all of that is completely, it doesn't matter because she's underage and she's so young. And I think that's maybe the biggest mistake the author made. Like, there's lots of elements where consent cannot be realized in this situation, but, like, for the author to even touch on a situation in which Venger, who I assume is an adult, could have a sexual relationship with someone who's 13 or 14 years old. It's just not I, something Avengers they... Avenger's an adult, you don't have to, like... Yeah, they... Quibble. Well, I mean, I don't know. I, I haven't... Anyway, He's point an being, is it, it should never have happened. And I, I'm sure the author now, well, yeah, but, as but a grown person, will recognize that. Well, sure, but that's also... But, but, that's, but that's... I'm not going to say that's okay. I'm saying, like, it's okay to write about stuff that shouldn't have happened if you're writing about it well. Or, like, in an uh, engaging way, right? No, I don't, I don't know. You don't think anyone no. should write anything that, like, would be, you know... I feel like this is a huge debate that was happening on Twitter in the fanfiction community again recently of, like, you know, people getting upset about people 
at people writing stories that, you know, have immoral... Yeah, I mean, romanticizing sexual assault is a huge problem for me. And I mean, you know, that's my opinion, but I think it's not only triggering, but it's problematic. And again, I think the author might think differently about it now. I'm not saying that we haven't, you know, all at times in our lives not understood exactly how problematic the things that we thought and wanted to write about were. I think part of the issue with, like, writing about something that is objectionable is, like, we aren't upset about talking about the murder in here. Like, it's done by both sides. We're, like, the heroes murder somebody with swords in a a fight. Mm -hmm. But that is not as objectionable because it's not as uh, sadly plausible Mm. in Mm -hmm. modern circumstances in our day-to-day lives. Something that could and does and has happened uh, is more personal and more emotional and calling upon more things from the reader than something else that is objectionable that happens that isn't true. You're not going to be in full armor fighting an orc anytime soon, you know? But you could be in a terrible situation. I mean, I am avoiding amusement parks just in case. Hmm. (laughs) Is that why? (laughs) I just also think that, yeah, there's, there's certain things that... You know, in terms of, there's a very, like, how do I put this? Um, Trauma that can be triggered from, you know, experience of sexual assault in terms of reading text is just a lot more prevalent than, I mean, death can be a very triggering thing in media and Mm -hmm. also, you know, violence killing, but it's the way it's done. And yeah, this is fantasy violence. Like, they even trigger warn like they they put fantasy violence as a different thing than yeah. like actual violence in you know TV ratings. Yes, yeah. yeah. because and a stu- you know differentiation there. Yeah, right. Because violence is a part of existing as a human in a certain way, but like it's like yeah, we're fighting with swords and that's action mostly. This is different and, and involves an element of emotional manipulation. But yeah, you know, not to get too far into that. I, I also agree that there's an element of those scenes where they just, they aren't even that well-written either, yeah. like you were saying, Amato. Like, well, I, it seems minor to me because the bigger issue mm-hmm. is, of course, the content, but it's like, even why even well, include them? I, yeah, I, I, I like, think, and I think the romanticization, that was the term that you said that's key here yeah. about, you know, why we don't right. like it. Um, but we may as well spin over to things that we did like. Mm-hmm. And... I feel like this this fanfic's really kind of split in two in my head because I thought the whole Eric plot, which is half of the you know series, was done really well. Done real well like, yeah. and consistently I, done well. I love that story. Like, I do. Eric's story yeah. was a great story. It's like I would read a f- you know several more fantasy books in that series by this author about Eric the Paladin. Mm-hmm. You know, in this fantasy yeah. world. I like the Eric story. And actually, you know, in terms of Sheila, I liked it when she was talking about her child and, like, trying to figure out what was going on with her kid. Mm-hmm. I just didn't like that it was, you know, when she went back and talked to Wenger again, then she stopped being as much of a character. There are moments of characterization that were really strong. And also the writing in this is sometimes really beautiful. The author's vocabulary is awesome. I'm not sure we talked about that during the podcast. but the- It came up, but we didn't dwell on it. Yeah. yeah. It is really great. And that makes me a little curious because, you know, the conceit of this show being retro fanfic retrospective, we're choosing something here really early in the fanfiction writing career 
of someone who has been writing fan fiction for 20, you know, four years. Makes me really so, curious what the current content is I like. was going to say, well, yeah. current content and current writing. It makes me, like, kind of curious about them about her as an author. Yeah. I um, mean, yeah, we can object to some of the content, but the flow is is great. The word choice is spectacular. It, the flow's not always great. Like, like we, we have run into things like yeah. the info dump, like the, the you the know. Jump That's between true. chapters. The jumps between chapters are sometimes actually genuinely hard to follow that's a good point i but i do think the only info dump was really at the end when it felt like the author was just like rushed for time they had some minor ones yeah explaining to sheila about the dungeon master Mm. yeah no that's actually a good point but i think like in general when it's just paragraph to paragraph like the pacing i guess pacing is a better word the pacing is usually pretty good about the technical stuff i feel Um, like could have been fixed or addressed with a editor or yeah. outside. Yeah, probably no. so. Yeah. And there's some great turns of phrase, like really spectacular ones. You can see how the author was probably inspired by Robert Frost mm-hmm. <laughs> in terms of how they write. Because he, his poems, despite my on and off relationship with Robert <laughs> Frost, a lot of his poems are very short, but the word choice is very precise, mm-hmm. but also a little, like, it's elegant in, in the same way. And the author has a, a similar tone to their writing. Oh, also, there's a lot of, there's, a whole bunch of throwaway minor characters in this, mm-hmm. but they don't feel like that at the time when they're in the story. They all feel like good enough characters and add to the story. And yeah, they all sh- they're all there for very specific story reasons. Yeah, which is good. Like in that you know early D and D plot in that town, like yeah. a few characters introduced, but it's like three you can keep track of them. It's like it's not overbearing, but they have a little bit of a personality, but not enough to distract. But there's several guest star like rulers or warriors that like they the party or Eric are, are kind of like allied with, or even and, like they're like, all fine. Like the monk that shows them around the temple. That's true. Or yeah. the high priest. Yeah, you talked about. Yeah. Um, the cameo of like the 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 oracle. Yeah, they're all distinct. I mean, not, not distinct in my mind, but, like, I mean, when they're in the scene, like you said, yeah, they're, they don't muddy the waters. I'm not sure I can describe it, just they all left with a good impression. Right. Even though I don't think they had that much of an impression at all in the story, but it was good, whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, they, they all contribute. Yeah, they all contribute. <laughs> it didn't feel crowded either. Yeah, any other yeah. praise before we sign off? Um... I think I, I I praised the writing pretty well, and the story was also engaging. It had so its ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Yes. I I just, you know, I think it's actually most frustrating to me, the, like, elements of coercion and assault in it, because they pull you out of the story when mm-hmm. you see them. And I think if you could be, for me as a reader, be fully immersed in the story, it would be very engaging. I think if you rewrote those sections, it could be all right. Yeah. It would take some rewriting, though, to make it. It would like... take some pretty serious right. rewriting. <laughs> but You'd it, have to it, do something different. But it's not yeah. like it's a teardown, you know? It's a yeah. remodel. <laughs> Agreed. Well, I think we're going to close it there. Next week, we're going to try to do something very strange and, for the first time in a proper episode, discuss a fan game. This one you know, part of the reason the the Utena episodes we've done, Tori, are mm-hmm. special episodes is because they're too recent. They're 200, 2009. <laughs> yeah, of course. But this one is properly retro. Uh, yes. We are going to play King's Quest ZZT and then come back and talk about it, which is a Ooh. fan King's Quest sequel 
before the game ZZT, which had a you know world editor. Mm-hmm. ZZT produced by Tim Sweeney, later of Epic. I mean, then of Epic Games, Epic Mega Games at the time, mm-hmm. but like later involved in like the Unreal Engine and big deals like that. But this was like an early venture, and ZZT was a big deal to me as a kid, and I look forward to talking about it, and also King's Quest. <laughs> Both those things. Cool. I'll try to provide a link to King's Quest ZZT, the downloadable ZZT world, at uh, let's do bit.ly slash RFR King. Just King. As for this, this was episode 69 of Retro Fanfic Retrospective, The Trial by Existence by Famed and, oh yeah, I forgot to mention, you know, Archive of Our Own won a Hugo Award last year. Oh. Yeah, for best fan-related work. Okay. So, like... You know, Astolat, this is a, technically speaking, kind of shared Hugo winning author that we just read. Hmm. Just not for being an author. <laughs> you know, the Hugo. All right, there yeah. we go. Okay. <laughs> an author who won a Hugo. <laughs> uh, anyway, what was I saying? Trial by Existence by Astolat, written like 1998, 1999. It's not completely clear which one. You can find a link to the copy on the author's website that has the PG-13 versions at bit.ly slash rfr trial t-r-i-a-l not what would t-r trail t-r-a-i-l would be trail (laughs) yes trial not trail we'll save that for our first mark trail fanfic yeah as soon as i can track one down it's the link that's taken yeah yeah there you go (laughs) (laughs) the intro song to the podcast is the weekly fair off of the album Popey's incredible adventure by komiku the outro song is Run Against the Universe from the same album. You can find this album and other works by Komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. You can find our website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or bit.ly slash retrofanfic. And if you have questions, comments, or thoughts about the episode or the show, please contact us on Twitter at retrofanfic. Send us an email at retrofanficretrospective at gmail.com. You can contact us on Twitter. I said Twitter. Yeah. What else we got? Reddit at Fanfic Retrospective. Facebook at RetroFanfic. And you can also leave comments, reviews on whatever you're using to listen to our show. And I just want to emphasize that Twitter, again, if you're interested in fanfic and fanfiction-related content, Amato updates that every so often with fanfiction news and thoughts. I do retweet some fanfiction things. (laughs) (laughs) Only the freshest of fanfic posts related to old fanfiction. (laughs) <laughs> that is us <laughs> yeah. I'm Amato I'm Tori I'm dumb We're just three Earth life forms trying to be nice to each other until we find our way home Until next time, take care I think that episode was a critical hit eh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll see myself on Better roll to confirm doing the D one dungeons and dragons yeah, okay. <laughs> satan's game at this moment where i was just like i hope that's the fan work we're doing tonight i didn't yeah. realize that dead alewise was dan Harmon. who 
uh, never mind. <laughs> Wait, Rick, right. Rick and Morty guy, Sorry, Scrubs oh, guy, community don't, guy. Don't really. Oh, community, community. <laughs> uh, he, he, Laser and Jack, or whatever that cartoon was. Nope. Heat bike and Jack. Nope. nope. <laughs> That's okay. We can still be friends, even though we're polar opposites <laughs> on this issue. <laughs> No, that, that just means we're opposites. 